you seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner, front and center this hour. The great debate over your money, what this week's red-hot IPOs say about the state of stocks, why it's not necessarily a sign of too much euphoria. We discuss with the investment committee today and joining me for the hour, Jim Labenthal, Steve Weiss, Shannon Sakosha is with us, the chief investment officer at Boston Private Wealth. Jason Snipe is principal of Odyssey Capital Advisors and Michael Farr is the president of Farr Miller and Washington. Let's go to the wall. Take a look at where we are trading on this Friday. We're red across the board. Dow, S&P and Nasdaq all on track for their largest weekly losses in some six weeks. Steve Weiss, I'm wondering what this week tells us, what the action tells us, if anything, about where we are and where we may go. All right, Jim Labenthal, can, I hope you can hear me and we can hear you. Why don't you take that question? Yeah. Well, so the markets are off about 1% or 2% this week, depending on which index you look at. That's not, that's not horrible by any means, but it is an omen, okay? And, and what, what we're seeing here is that we clearly need fiscal stimulus to bridge the gap to when the vaccines are distributed largely, which will be whenever it'll be, early spring, late spring, somewhere on that time frame. But right now, people are hurting, Scott. I know you know that. You, you tweet about this a lot. If you're an owner of a restaurant, if you're a hotel worker, an airline employee, you're, you're in trouble and you're scared. And this is where governments are supposed to step in and generate fiscal stimulus. I mean, this is classic philosophy of, of Hobbes getting us out of the jungle via the social contract. We pay taxes so that government will take care of the needy when they're in desperate need. It's right now. Now, I do believe we will get fiscal stimulus, but I'm getting kind of hot under the collar that it's taking this long. This shouldn't be politics. We need stimulus right now, not for the stock market, but for the people. Well, what, what Shannon, though, does it mean then for the, for the stock market? We all want stimulus. I'm, I'm assuming we all do because we all know who needs it the most. There are, as Jim said, people hurting. There is a disconnect, obviously, between the stock market, the real economy and real people. We all get that. But since we're talking about the stock market, Shannon, how does that all factor in, if at all, to where stocks could go between now and the end of the year and perhaps even beyond that? So I think what we're seeing, we're continuing to see this disconnect between Main Street and Wall Street. And I, I think that those of us who are on Wall Street and talking about the stimulus, it, it's not necessarily hey, that we need an extra boost. Hey, Shan, so, forgive me. Um, I'm from, just going to interrupt you for yeah. just a second. Uh, I apologize and I'll come back to you. But Sue Herrera has a news alert for us. Sue? Indeed, I do, Scott. We've been monitoring uh, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's uh, latest news conference. And he has just announced that in New York City, all bars and restaurants with indoor dining will need to close as of Monday. Outdoor dining and takeout will continue, but this is not unexpected. It's kind of been rumored for the last few days, Scott, but it will be another big blow to the restaurants in New York City. That's as effective as of Monday. The governor went on to say that where are the new cases coming from? 74% of the new cases of COVID 
in New York State are coming from indoor uh, household gatherings of immediate family and another family that comes in. So that is the stat that we haven't really had much clarity on. They're calling he's calling it the living room spread. And he says that that's one of the next things that they're going to have to tackle how they do that. He's not sure. But one way that he is trying to limit the covid spread in New York City is to shut down indoor dining at bars and restaurants effective as of Monday. Yeah. Um, you said a big blow to restaurants, a, a blow to their yep. owners, a, a blow to the restaurant workers. Yep. And, and, even, and even more reason and it, it, why we need stimulus. He called on Washington. Um, he said it's not a political issue. This is a human issue. And uh, basically the city's restaurant industry is going to be decimated. He did not. He was pressed on this, but he did not give a time frame for when he thinks he will be able to lift this closure order. He then renewed his call from Washington. Washington stimulus. Um, and, and basically, he's going by the numbers. If the numbers continue to go up in terms of not only cases, but hospitalizations, that's his other focus. What percentage of the hospital ICU beds are occupied? If that continues to go up, he will keep the ban in place longer. Yeah. Sue, thanks. You got it. So, Shan, um, you know, just picking up where you left off, and forgive me again for interrupting you, there was a time where a headline like this would negatively impact the stock market. Not so much now, as we see, even if stocks may have taken a little bit of a turn. We're already in the red, and we were in the red by triple digits already on the Dow Jones Industrial Average, and that seems to be because there are so many other forces at work, being a vaccine, um, et cetera. So is the stock market just not going to pay any more attention to rising cases, rising closures, or just about anything else because it's so transfixed on the fact that you do have a vaccine which literally could start rolling out here in the United States early next week. I think the market is transfixed on December 31st and positioning ahead of that. So, um, you know, we talked about the fact that with this November to remember we had in the equity markets in particular, that part of the Santa Claus rally may not occur this year because, again, and also we're seeing, you know, potentially some pressure on consumer spending. I think that we're going to continue to see into the end of the year repositioning into risk on. Uh, we're going to see uh, institutional portfolio managers looking to create a portfolio that makes sense with an improving economic growth environment in the second half of next year. I think the response and the reaction that you're speaking of is actually going to come in January when we start getting that December economic data. And people can get concerned. They can look at the fact that there's going to be three or four months of this deteriorating economic data. And I think we'll see a response in risk on markets, a more pronounced response to the one that we're seeing this week during those first few months, for a few weeks of the year, excuse me. And that could offer an opportunity to reposition for the longer term. But I think you're continuing to see this push and pull through the end of the year about this change in positioning, acknowledging the cyclical rebound, acknowledging the need to rotate to some extent your portfolio. Um, but we, I am looking towards that January time frame is when we see the actual real Wall Street response to what's happening on Main Street. Yeah. Um, Jason, are, are we in some sort of no man's land between now and the end of the year? We're just going to sort of twist and turn a little bit, figure out kind of where we are, where the stock market is. I'm, I'm just wondering how you put a week like this into perspective, which has some remarkably high flying IPOs within it. And then the bookend here of this news out of New York City as we continue to await further 
you know, a confirmation from the FDA about when exactly you're going to have the first vaccines into arms sometime ne- next week. Is, is the market overvalued? Is it in need of any sort of consolidation or, or sell off to reboot itself, so to speak? So I think that's a great question, Scott. There, there's been so much going on, obviously, this week. And I'll echo Jim's points earlier, you know, in regards to the stimulus package. Um, it's so important for that fiscal to happen. Um, the bifurcation between Main Street and Wall Street is is real. I mean, it's, it's significant and it's growing every day. And, you know, I made a point earlier, it's not like it's good money chasing bad money here. Um, There is a bridge here. The vaccine is coming, obviously, as you mentioned, Scott. It's been distributed in the U.K. this week, and hopefully it'll be distributed uh, here in the U.S. next week. So, you know, it's a challenging market. Do I think it's overbought? Yeah, I do to a certain degree. But, um, you know, the multiple expansion has happened, and that's been as a result of, you know, this kind of stay-at-home theme and COVID and everyone being at home. So, yeah, I I think there's a lot to go here, and, and, and we'll kind of see at the turn of the year, uh, where things go and hit. Michael Farr, you know, the, the music, as it were, has been playing pretty loudly since the lows of March, right? And there, there has been a conversation this week, uh, certainly on the technical side, from some people that we've had on the program. And just in general, if you look at the way that things like the FANGs, for example, have traded since September, it haven't really been all that well. It's been mostly a, a sideways move. And questioning as to whether the music is, at the very minimum, skipping a beat. And I'm wondering whether it's going to stop anytime soon or if there are just too many things at play to keep the music going, being too much liquidity, an acknowledgement that stimulus, although we don't have anything today, we're going to likely get something at some point. You do have the vaccine coming soon and you have lots of money on the sideline as well. You know, uh, Scott, I think the band's getting tired. Uh, right right now. They've been playing uh, hours on end here without a smoke break. We've got a market surge that's done really, really well. Uh, it's been a huge surprise to everybody, but since about the beginning of September, we really have tremendous gains. So that the market would pull back a little bit makes perfect sense. I don't think that means a great correction unless Congress really messes this up and doesn't get some sort of stimulus done. And it's not, it is the people who are suffering, it is the people who are vulnerable, who are running out of options. But it's also the economy. It's also that we've built this bridge with all of the stimulus and programs pretty much 80% of the way across this chasm. And an 80% bridge doesn't do anybody any good, right? I mean, if you don't have that last 20%. And this is something Tony Fratto has been talking about a lot. Congress, you've got to do your job. The economy needs it, and, and people need it. People will suffer. Look, a, a good economy lifts all boats. You still have poor, but the quality of life of the poor is even better in a good economy. So, stocks expensive? Yes. Congress has to get on its job down there, and they've been, gotten really tied up. I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a real loggerhead in Washington right now, and I find it shameful frankly. Yeah. Uh, it's shameful from a human perspective, and it's shameful from an economic perspective. No, I agree with you a thousand percent. I mean, it's past the point of, of, of shameful. It, it's, it's just pathetic. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. Yeah. I mean, you can yell to the mountaintop on Twitter and, and, and elsewhere, and it's just maddening. 
It's just okay. madness. Well, well let's no hit them where they live, Scott. I mean, hey, hey, Scott? so let's hit them where they live. Listen, people in Congress, you've got you've to have a decent economy if you people want to stay in office. You're putting the economy in jeopardy. You're not going to get reelected as dog catchers if you don't pay attention. Well, Steve Weiss, I haven't heard from you uh, yet, and I think we got your, your audio fixed. You know, does the market need a correction or, or not? Maybe it doesn't. Maybe Airbnb and DoorDash and while it, it sort of screams in some respects euphoria, you maybe take a step back and say, well, I mean, these are businesses that are transforming the way we live and transforming the way we do business. I'm sure there are those who will argue that none of that makes sense to where the stocks traded out of the gate relative to where they were priced, relative to what their market caps are now, relative to some of the other companies that they have just blown past within their own universes. What do you think? What, how do you answer that question? Well, I think there are two markets. One are on the hot, hot IPOs, and uh, they're flying. And I'd be surprised, having allocated hundreds of deals when I was at Lehman, uh, I'd be surprised if the institutional holders that got their allocations still own it. Maybe they own a tag end, but I can almost guarantee you that if they bought some, it was only to show the lead manager that they bought some stock, then they sold it. So I wouldn't go by that. I'd take a look at the real mark. Does it need a correction? I'm not so sure, but I think it's tired. Take a look at some earnings reports that we've seen. You can go through basically any of them over the last week or so, including Stitch Fix, where you had such a large short interest that drove it. Most of the float, the float that traded, was short. But take a look at Broadcom. Take a look at Lulu. Take a look at any of the others. They're selling off on good earnings. So to me, yes, I agree. It's devastating what's going on with the economy. And in fact, the stimulus plan that they're talking about in Congress and $600 checks doesn't get us there. It doesn't pay people's mortgages. It doesn't take them out of default in their credit cards. It's abysmal. So I'm going to put to bed a myth that we, that we hear constantly, which is that tax increases hit the economy and hit the market. They don't. If you look at a chart going back 60 years, Fidelity has a great one on their website, and they show every tax increase. Years where there were three tax increases and the market still went up because the acrimony, the animosity, and the do-nothing with what we're seeing right now with the government is going to extend in Biden's administration if we have the Senate controlled by the Republicans. So if we go to a Democratic-controlled Senate and a Democratic-controlled House, which we have, I think you'll see massive fiscal stimulus, which we need. Because the vaccines, you'll get the first delivery, but keep in mind, you've got to wait three weeks for the next shot. We've seen the others, aside from Moderna and Pfizer, that their, their trials are being extended. Things are going wrong. We don't know about J&J. I suspect we'll still see the same thing with J&J. And in any event, they won't be out till around mid-year. So it's going to be a while before we're vaccinated. And to Sharon's point, yeah, there'll be a repositioning. I don't think, I don't think investors reposition until next year, until they see the outcome of the Georgia race. You'll see that knee-jerk reaction down. Then we'll move up. But they've been repositioning. Take a look at energy. Take a look at industrials. Yeah, but people are no cheaper than No, no I get it. That, that, that's all a good point. And that's why Jim Summer is suggesting that even those stocks now, the value stocks where the rotation has gone to, 
are overvalued now in and of themselves, that, that it's gone too much, too far, too fast. You could have airlines, for example, Deutsche Bank weighing in on them today, Jim, saying that they've moved too far. They've downgraded the sector to a hold. They go all across the group, including Alaska, which you own. You can speak specifically to that. Weiss owns Delta. Or you can just speak to the fact that, you know, where are you going to go? I mean, a, a lot. So they, they say, yeah. you know, people say, OK, the tech, the growth tech is overvalued. Now they're saying the reopen the cyclical stocks like airlines, for example, they're overvalued. So what's an investor to do, Jim? Well, investors have to realize that after periods of large gains, like you've seen in the market overall or value stocks specifically in the last month or three months, that you get a consolidation. It's what happens, okay? Large gains need to be digested by the market before the next wave of buyers come in. And I think that's what you're seeing uh, both in the market overall or in sectors like the FANG sectors, which have been consolidating since September, or the value stocks, which are consolidating right now. What that means, though, it doesn't mean you just throw up your hands and go down in your bunker. It means it's a time for stock selection. So you mentioned airlines, and I don't think this is a time, nor do I ever think there's a time, that you should just buy every airline. They are vastly different. If you're thinking about buying American Airlines up 40% in the last month, you need to take a hard look at their balance sheet because that, the, it's the debt holders who are going to get Jim, paid, this is a, not the this equity is a, holders going forward. They're not being discriminating in the way that they've downgraded here. They've, they're not being stock selective. They've downgraded the entire airline space. I got it, but investors space. should be. Okay? I mean, yeah, a I, lot I of these stocks... You, but investors should be selective. Here's the point that I'm making is right now is a time to be stock selective, not just say, hey, I'm all in on the epicenter stocks. I'm all in on the reopening stocks. That's the wrong move. That's already happened. Now what you've got to decide is what's speculative and what's a true investment thesis. Speculation isn't bad, but you've already gotten so much of it that you need to shift your mindset to where are the long-term winners, okay. not to where is the speculation going to continue. So people think, you know, I think there's a, a good cohort out out there that thinks Shannon a snowflake is a is a long-term winner right I mean that that stocks down 18% since Tuesday it was downgraded to hold today at Deutsche Bank winter is coming what they say pent-up demand from high multiple names such as snowflake may be limited as we wrap up 2020 and investors look to protect their year it are, are stocks like that going to be susceptible to larger pullbacks for for that reason and others they may be on a on a stock by stock basis, Scott, for sure. But you know, I think we have to think about what's actually moving the market too. I mean, you know, a, a fifteen or twenty percent decline on Snowflake. You know, we're not going to see as much publicity on that or much movement in the indexes, which is the way a lot of investors gain access to the S and P five hundred now, as you are with the Fangs. And I think that's why you continue to see a lot more stories about the consolidation of the Fangs than these one off stocks. And I also think that you can apply that to the same the same rationale to things like DoorDash and Airbnb, what we've seen this week. Those are um, limited in scope on a longer term basis. There are going to be winners and losers from some of these IPOs, from you know reopening stocks in general. I agree with Jim that you have to think about being selective, but you also have to start to encompass and incorporate your expectations for the post-pandemic world. This economic growth rebound that's going to happen in the back half of next year is not going to be uh, across the board. Business travelers are not going to come back and increase profitability 
for the um, airlines the way that they did pre-pandemic. And so I think you have to continue to be selective about these individual names, knowing that just because we're buying a lot of uh, food through DoorDash today, what does that addressable market look like down the road? And what do you want to pay for it? Okay, so, and so I think that's what we should be focused on. So Jason, you sold on that note, and it plays right into it. You sold Peloton, okay, and you sold Wayfair. It plays right into our conversation okay. about maybe where you're thinking things are going to work in the months ahead. You got it. So, I mean, for us, both of those names, I mean, great companies, I mean, interactive fitness on the Peloton side, I mean, great company, you know, for us, it was a trade. I mean, we've been in and out of that name, but when we saw the bridge and the kind of efficacy news of, of the vaccine and the distribution coming, um, you know, Peloton was a name that we said, okay, let, let's just take our profits and, and move on. Similar story with, uh, Wayfair, you know, I think the infrastructure, I mean, we've seen the, the movement in durable goods this year. And, um, you know, as we kind of look to what Wayfair has done, and they've done very well in e-commerce and the infrastructure around the home, um, we decided that, you know, going forward, um, moving into a hybrid economy, you know, I don't, I don't think Wayfair, we, we wanted to take some profits off the table, yeah. you know, so that, that was the reason for the move. Steve Weiss, you sold a lot of chip stocks. Why? Corvo, Qualcomm? Or at least you trimmed those positions. Why? Yeah. Yeah, so I trimmed them. I'm, I'm not doing anything today. Uh, the uh, Look, we had some news come out, and it's not unknown. We, we just didn't expect the timing right now, which is that uh, uh, Apple's going to make their own chipsets. Now, Apple bought Intel's chipset business, and they've been hiring a bunch of Qualcomm engineers, so it's no surprise. It'll take them years to do it, but that's what's hitting the market today, what's hitting Qualcomm. The reason why I sold them, it's basically, I don't want to say it's one trade, but it sort of is, and it just got way too big. Uh, down here, uh, I don't know if I'd sell any. I'm going to wait to see. If it continues to be at this level in the next week or two, I probably will pair some back. But there's a time where I, I want to rotate more into the industrial side. I want to raise some cash. So that played into it as well. So I'm just sitting back right now. Let's see what happens. You know, I also added in some other stocks. I added it to Jamia. I added to uh, parts.com, uh, carparts.com. So I'm finding opportunities, but they're really under the radar names. I initiated a position in Nokia down here just this morning. Uh, I already own Ericsson. So that's a, it's a little shift to go to the names that aren't so much in the spotlight that you can generate some alpha on. After, after clearly uh, pandering to James Gorman a couple of weeks ago I, uh, <laughs> on this show, I also see that you sold Morgan Stanley. So now you have some splaining uh, to I, do. I did. If, if Mr. Gorman happens to be watching our program today. Well, if I know he's watching, I'll buy it again. <laughs> now, the, the reason why I sold it is that, is, is that the, timing, the timing was good. It was an interest rate trade. Uh, we've seen the 10-year rates fall by about 10 bips. So I think I have time. Next year, what I find encouraging is that we didn't see it in PPI today, but we're seeing a slight uptick in inflation. And that will continue if you read into the stocks. Uh, I also sold some Micron. I mean, my trading range of Micron was basically 45, 50 to 60. Company pre-announced and went into the 70s. So I thought it was a good opportunity to take some off the table. So, but I still have half that position. Okay. Shan, you sold UPS and Chubb. 
I did. Um, so I'll talk about Chubb first. Uh, insurance has been a great way to play financials over the last couple of years in this low interest rate environment and, and really a more defensive play for financials exposure. And it just feels fully valued here. There's nothing wrong with the company. And if you like insurance, it's still a good place to be. Um, on UPS, uh, you know, we just we I, I think we're there's a note out today that talks about how December is going to be sort of a peak volume quarter for them. And for us, that's a catalyst to move out of this stock. We bought the stock earlier in the year. Um, it's actually exceeded our expectations in a shorter period of time. And so thinking about it in terms of construction, I don't know that we expect EPS estimates to rise enough to justify the multiple expansion that we've experienced this year. And so for us, we're going to take our money off the table. We're going to put it into some more cyclical ideas um, and really continue to position our portfolio for this second half of 2021. Michael Farr, you bought a REIT? Yeah, I did, Scott. Uh, just an opportunity in one of our uh, growth and income portfolio. It's really more of a value income portfolio. But we bought Physicians Realty Trust, which is a medical office building REIT. It's one of those areas that's held up really well uh, in this environment and continues to see great demand. Uh, these, these medical office buildings. They've held up very well. 5% dividend. It seemed to be a pretty good addition to that income portfolio for us and at a good valuation while the others were depressed. All right. We, uh, there's stocks moving uh, as we're talking about it. We'll take a quick break. I want to talk about Disney on the other side. A remarkable day for shares of Disney. We'll do that next. Plus, we have a bullish call on Caterpillar today. Shares are up 15% in three months. We debate that in our call of the day. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back right after this. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Sue Herrera. Here's your CNBC News update at this hour. Another legal defeat for President Trump and his allies in their attempts to overturn the president's November loss to President-elect Joe Biden. A state judge in Wisconsin rejected a Trump campaign suit seeking to throw out 221,000 votes from two heavily Democratic counties. In recent weeks, state prosecutors in New York have been interviewing employees of President Trump's bank and insurance broker, an indication the investigation of his finances by Manhattan DA Cyrus Vance is heating up. That is according to the New York Times. If charges are brought after President Trump leaves office, they would be beyond the reach of a federal pardon. And it will now be up to the Biden administration to decide when to end restrictions at U.S. borders with Mexico and Canada. With today's announcement, they will remain closed to non-essential travel through at least January 21st. You are up to date, Scott. I'll send it back to you. And we appreciate that, Sue. Thank you. Good weekend to you, Sue you Herrera. Too. All right, let's take a look at shares of Disney, because to say that the investor day went over well, well, that would be an understatement. Look at that stock. Up 13% right now. That's not even the best levels of the day. And that stock is trading now 
at a new all-time high. Let's call it $175. They've got price hikes. They've got new content. They've got bullish sub-projections. I've got a lot of ownership on the desk. You have a lot of positive commentary. Jason Snipe, you own Disney, right? I don't own Disney. I totally miss this one. I mean, the numbers are phenomenal. Um, you know, just listening to the commentary and reading all about it. But uh, we own Netflix, and that was kind of our play there in the content business. But, yeah, totally miss Disney. And uh, we consider grabbing it on a pullback. I didn't mean to throw you under the bus there, although I kind of did because <laughs> I wanted to make the point that there was only, I think, one person on the show today who does not own Disney, Farmer Jim. I, well, yeah, and I do own it. Look, it's hard not to be breathless when you talk about that investor presentation. To start with, they gained 87 million subscribers in basically one year. That's breathtaking enough. The projection for subscriber growth going forward, having 230 to 260 million in four years, is phenomenal. I, I said this two days ago. You've got a Netflix plus the other businesses. Netflix is a $220 billion market cap. Disney is a $280 billion market cap. Frankly, I think the streaming business is going to be bigger than uh, Netflix. And for $60 million in the other businesses, you're getting about $15 billion uh, in operating earnings. So the, the whole thing is cheap, even at this price. So I was told before, Shannon, that you could own both Disney and Netflix. That one great announcement by one company had nothing to do with the other. Though the noted analyst today, Laura Martin over at Needham, says Disney wins over Netflix. That Disney wins. Is that fair? You own both Disney and Netflix. I do. Uh, I love content. Um, and I, I, so my response to that is, well, shouldn't they win? Shouldn't Disney win? They've already have a blueprint to follow that Netflix has charted for them. Netflix is the first mover in this space. And so if you look at what they've done, they've done two very important things. Um, they have managed to continue to raise prices as in order to fund content. And they've also managed to appropriately price their domestic subscriptions to allow for international growth. So if Disney follows the same path and is able to deliver the same type of progress without some of the missteps that Netflix has had as far as their pricing increases, then sure enough, they should win. And you know, you take the tailwind of parks revenue and the free cash flow that could be generated when parks get back to capacity. Um, this this should outlast Netflix from from that perspective. Only, so I don't disagree with the assessment. Yeah, I mean the the only difference being, in, you but, know, to, at least to my knowledge, <laughs> and and at least this is how it was, and maybe it's changed. Netflix, to to the best of my knowledge, doesn't own the majority of its content. Whereas Disney is going to and does own the majority of its. So doesn't that play a role in who could win in the long run subscriber wars? Absolutely. I mean, that, and, and that's really why everybody was so excited about Disney Plus in the first place a year ago. If we were sitting here a year ago, everybody would have been talking about who cares about parks. Um, it's all about the fact that they have this catalog that is a sunk cost. They've already paid for it. And so, yes, in the long run, Disney should win. Does that mean that you should, you should sell Netflix in the, in the near term? Maybe. And I'm considering it. These numbers were, to Jim's point, breathtaking yesterday. And I think that if you own content and you're trying to pick your spot and you want to own only one, it's probably Disney at this juncture. The other interesting stock getting a call today is Caterpillar, which Farmer Jim remains the top pick at J.P. Morgan in that space 
overweight, 185 is the price target. Uh, yeah, and the analyst there is a very good analyst, but I, I think the price target is 185, if I'm not mistaken, which is just a handful of dollars above the current share price. Uh, I think the price target is probably close to right. Now, I've owned this for about a year and a half, up about 40%. You can't stay in Caterpillar for too long. If you look at a 20-year chart, there are distinct periods of long rises and then fallow periods. I think you've got maybe another 6-8%. Um, I'm looking to get out of this in the 190s. A 24 forward multiple, which is where CAT is right now, is probably right. There's a lot of infrastructure and supply, uh, supply chain onshoring built into the price right now. I, I think 6 to 8% is what you get from here. Where, where would you get into then? If you got out of CAT, what would you put your money into? Because they're underweight deer and they're staying that way. What do you like? Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be in that space. But would you put the money somewhere well, no, else? But industrials are... Industrials are a great space to be looking at right now. You know, Steve and I are, are taunting each other about General Motors. I hope he's not going to be the weak hand and sell just as it's consolidating. But I think General Motors is a great entry point right now for the next leg higher. Um, I can think of, you know, hey, what North about Honeywell? Is the defense name that I've owned. Jason bought Honeywell, right? And I mean, I think Joe bought Honeywell recently. Honeywell's gotten a lot of action on this show. Jason Snipey just recently bought it, right? And, and I own Honeywell. Yeah. I, I yeah. own Honeywell also. But but can I ask? Can hold, I ask Jim a question? You, hold How on. long is my fallow hold, hold period on. in GM? I don't have last? time to play, play games. Oh, Jason Snipe, I, I want you to answer, please. <laughs> yep. So Honey, Honeywell for us was just kind of the resurgence of capex. We like the industrial market. We're bullish on the industrial market, and I think they played well into two major things. One is the air filtration, air filtration um, systems on in the cabins of airplanes, and obviously to you know in packaging of the vaccine from a distribution perspective. So Honeywell is a, is a name that obviously it's run some, but we think there's continued runway there. Okay. For more on the biggest analyst, for more on the biggest analyst calls of the day today, you can check out the write-up on CNBC Pro. As always, go to cnbc.com slash pro to check that out. Coming up, from NFL Pro to private equity, former wide receiver Moosin Muhammad is joining us next to talk about his move into that space where he sees opportunity. It's a great story. We'll talk about it next. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one. Visit ODFL.com to learn more. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash report. That is linkedin.com slash report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash report and get started.
Going from game-breaking receiver in the NFL to a successful entrepreneur is hardly a sure thing, as you know. Our next guest, though, has done just that. Moosin Muhammad spent 14 seasons in the league with the Carolina Panthers and Chicago Bears, still holds the record, in fact, for the longest touchdown reception in Super Bowl history. Today, he is a partner at the private equity firm Axum Capital, which focuses on small and mid-sized companies. He is with us live. It's good to see you. Welcome. Scott, thanks for having me. You know, I had no idea what you were up to. I hadn't heard your name in a long time, and I saw a feature on you before a football game, and I was taken by your story. And if people are surprised by what you're doing now, it doesn't seem like you would be because you have described yourself as an entrepreneur trapped in a football player's body. Tell me about that. <laughs> you know, it, it just started at an early age. And, you know, I just think of myself as more than just a, a football player. I'm, I'm more complete. And uh, I've always had interest um, outside of playing the sport. And, um, you know, football just provided, uh, you know, an opportunity for me to, to explore other things I was interested in. What I didn't realize was you founded Axum while you were still playing. Wasn't very easy, yeah. But the last couple of years of uh, my NFL career, starting in 2008, when I uh, signed my uh, a contract with the Carolina Panthers to come back to Charlotte, um, I started putting the framework for uh, the private equity fund together, and uh, met some interesting guys. Um, really loved my partners, um, you know, Raymond Growth and, and Dennis Akayensu. That uh, we all came together and started building the, the infrastructure of this fund. And so, you know, my teammates used to say, you know, Moose, are, are you a football player or business guy? Because, you know, I can't tell what it is you are. You're coming to work with these suits and the whole deal, right? What's more fun? Um, I, you know, we closed a couple of deals this week, and I felt like I was running out the tunnel again. So, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you can easily compare, you know, closing great deals and, you know, accomplishing great things for your portfolio companies uh, to great wins, you know. And uh, there's a lot of football that translates over to business, a lot of similarities. Yeah. You invest, I said, in, in mostly small and mid-sized businesses. You have a, a, yes. a pretty good foray into the restaurant biz, which I'm wondering how you've managed all of that. Uh, given the pandemic? Well, I'll tell you, Scott, we have amazing CEOs at both of our companies. Um, Steve Weigel is doing an amazing job at Wine Cafe. Uh, and on the other side, Dennis Pfaff with uh, Backyard Burgers. But we quickly got um, several things in place for both our portfolio companies, right size in the companies, um, you know, dealing with vendors and a variety of different things to, to, to right size the, our companies and set them on a course um, to be not only stable, but, but flourish during COVID-19. And there were a number of measures that we took, put in place um, that now um, are, are, are uh, playing themselves off. And I think it also starts, Scott, with our investment thesis, though, because we went after businesses that were predicated on the food, right? It wasn't about just doing transactions. We really took our time and picked two portfolio companies that we believed in. And even though it took us a little bit more time to close on those deals, we thought for that first fund, it was paramount that we picked two companies that we thought can sustain things like this, economic uh, ebbs and flows. And so I think we're doing a good job with your, your so story is inspirational, uh, too, which I mentioned on, on Twitter. It's a story of second chances and a second chance that you got earlier in your life from Nick Saban, who was your college coach. Is that correct? Yeah, Nick Saban was my college coach at Michigan State. And, uh, you know, Scott, I know you grew up in South Florida. Um, and most of the people watching this show know that, you know, when we're kids, we're probably happy that we didn't have cell phones back then, right? And so, uh, you know, there, there were some things that went on, and, and, and Nick Saban gave me an opportunity to get back on the field and prove myself. And it's a great story, Scott. You know, I played, uh, started one year of college football, 
and uh, went on to, to play 14 years in the National Football League. And this guy's like, uh, you know, um, Nick Saban that gave me an opportunity, George Perlis, who recruited me, but Nick Saban, who really gave me that opportunity to be a starter at the college level and show what I can do. And from that point on, you know, the rest is history. I love the way you're, you're sort of thinking about what your legacy is going to be. I've thought about what the Muhammad dynasty what your name means and what kind of impact you can have. What is our purpose, you said, and how do we want to influence and change and affect the world? That is my North Star. Um, that says a lot. I, yes. Well, you know, I'm a deep thinker. You know, my, uh, I, I have a very eclectic background. I am, you know, a product of this country in so many different ways. And, uh, you know, seeing this country move forward, um, and being a part of it in a, you know, a material way is, uh, is who I am. And it's a part of my, my North Star. It's what guides me. And when we make investment decisions, you know, there is a, uh, obviously we want returns, but we think those returns are generated by different things, focusing on people, focusing on, you know, great fundamentals and core, things within core businesses. So, um, you know, we get returns, but we, I don't think we look at it the same way that most private equity firms do. Um, and we think that once we acquire those companies, we can really add value uh, because we've done our homework and our due diligence. On mm. Yours is a great story. I'm glad you shared it with us. We'll talk to you again soon, I hope. Thanks, Scott. Good talking to you. All right. You be well. It's Musa Muhammad joining us there. Ask Halftime is next. Send your questions by video. We'll play them on the air. Email us, askhalftime at CNBC.com. We're back right after this. All right, let's answer some of your questions now. Jimmy, a video question for you starts us off. Hi, my name is Ryan. I'm from Bakersfield, California. I'm a 14-year-old new investor who just started in April. I'm looking for a new industrials company. I was wondering if you think I should go with Waste Management or Lockheed Martin. Okay, Jimmy, what's it going to be? Great, yeah, great. I love it when a young investor comes in. You should be in the industrial space. It's a hot sector right now. Waste management is okay. I'm not going to pan it, but I much prefer Lockheed Martin or competitor Northrop Grumman. Defense stocks have been sold down. Now, those two are making airplanes, missiles, uh, satellites. That's where you want to be. That's where defense is growing over the next few years. Lockheed Martin, yes. Okay, good stuff. Thank you for that, Jimmy. Thank you so much for the question as well. Steve Weiss, to you. Amin has a question. Uh, I bought Moderna at 63. Should I sell it or should I hold it? Good question. There are probably a, a lot of other people who have similar questions about Moderna. So Moderna is still my largest position. I had shaved some on the way up just from portfolio responsibility. But this is a company where their platform has been de-risked. And messenger RNA, to me, is the future of biotech. We see that. They have the superior technology there. If you take a look at delivery, storage, it's at normal freezer temperatures. So I still think it goes with a pipeline of 21 vaccines and therapeutics today, going to 31 next year possibly. This stock has a lot of runway ahead of it and should go a lot higher over the next year, two years, three years, et cetera. Okay, thank you for that. Shan, to you, Bruce in Palm Desert, California, wants to know about EOG. What do you think? Is it a buy? So I'm not particularly bullish on energy right now, but if you want to have a play in the energy space, this has low leverage, strong liquidity, a safe dividend. And so if you're anticipating a big pickup in demand in 2021, this is a good place to play that. We're more optimistic about energy demand in 2022 and 2023. Okay. Jason, to you, Jordan in Florida, is Costco a buy after its earnings or should I wait for a pullback? So they had a very strong report yesterday. I think they continue to benefit from consumer behavior. Folks are not traveling as much and eating out as much. 
you know, revenue is up 17% year over year. Uh, their their e-commerce business is up 86%. I think it still continues to be a buy for me. All right, Michael Farr, we're going to end it with you. Jeff in Minnesota, uh, Becton Dickinson wants to know, is that a buy? Jeff, I like it. I own it. I would probably add to it where I don't. They're the largest manufacturer of syringes in the world. They're also benefiting from the COVID tests that are continuing, but already an order for a billion syringes for around the world for the COVID vaccines, et cetera. I like this company. It's a hold. It's a core position for me. Okay. Thank you for that. Get ready for a big week ahead. What the futures traders are watching, you'll find out next. Time for the futures outlook. Scott Nation's explaining to us today why you should watch copper next week. Futures traders will have lots of data to trade off of next week, but copper, com- copper is going to get the most love. It's going to have market moving data on Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Much of that's going to have to do with our housing market. Copper has just been on fire lately, eight-year highs. The fundamentals are really strong. China is buying and using as much copper as it can get its hands on. And here in the United States, our housing market is also a real tailwind for copper. So let's take a step back and look at the copper futures contract. The ticker symbol for copper is HG. Each contract is for 25,000 pounds of the red metal, and it's incremented in dollars and cents per pound. Front month for copper right now is March of 2021. So given those really strong fundamentals, how would I trade copper? Well, if I could buy that March contract on a little bit of a pullback, because I don't want to pay the top, but if I could buy it on a little bit of a pullback, I'd love to buy it at $3.40 a pound. Once I'm in the trade, my target would be $3.65 a pound, and my stop would be $3.25 a pound, because we're always going to trade these with a stop. Now, copper's a big contract, so that means our profit potential on this trade, $6,250, and our risk would be $3,750. Because it's a big contract, it means we're going to pay attention to this once we're in it, and we're going to adjust our levels and our stops. So for Futures Outlook, that's your sneak peek at the week ahead. I'm Scott Nations. Good luck with all your trading. All right. We like it. We appreciate that. We'll keep an eye on Copper for you and follow it up, I promise, next week. Final trades after this quick break. All right, welcome back. Final trades in just a minute, though. Weiss, I have another tweet for you regarding Moderna, which I think is a great question. I, w- I want you to answer it for our viewers, um, because Martin Van Nostrand, who tweeted to you, uh, is probably not the only one thinking this. Moderna and company producing vaccines, their stocks are up. How are they generating a revenue stream from the vaccines if they're free? Well, Moderna is actually charging, so it's not free in terms of what they're charging. And we don't know what the revenue stream would be because we don't know the duration of the protection. But if it's a year, they'll have that every year, so it'll be renewable. So that's how we know. But like most biotech companies, and this is one of them, revenue streams are in the future and you have to discount it back. But focus on the pipeline. But they are making money in the COVID vaccine. Okay. And Jason, I'm going to give you this question. Uh, And Michael Farr, you can opine on it, too. I I just think it's an interesting stat from Bespoke. They say... And it sums up the week well. Among the 451 U.S. IPOs of at least $500 million since 1995, only eight have more than doubled from IPO price to their first close. Of the top 10 performers in that group, five have come in 2020. Jason, that says a lot about this this year of euphoria, if you want to call it that. Yeah. 
I think there's just so much liquidity in the market. And obviously, we talked about it earlier in the show, you know, about the market being potentially overbought. I mean, it, it was an ideal time to, to, to go public, right? The SPAC market, the, the IPO market has done very well. I mean, before, yes, before this week, I mean, there's over $130 billion rate. So I get it. It makes a lot of sense in this environment. Michael? In, a, in addition to that liquidity, it also tells me that the fear factor is almost absent in the market right now. Optimism is prevailing and people are willing to take bets. That's a time when I want to take risk off the table. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, it's, it's been interesting. It's certainly an interesting stat from Bespoke. Thank you for, uh, for putting that out there. All right, Shan, let's do final trades. I'm starting with you. Great. Uh, bank of New York Mellon, we just bought this stock. Um, it's a custody bank, but they have the Pershing um, IRA, RIA clearing business, which we think could provide some upside. And the yield curve is going to steepen into next year. So we're looking for more bank exposure. Right. A lot of red on the picks today. Steve Weiss, what do you got? I'll give you another thread. Taiwan Semi. What's happening with Apple is going to go to Taiwan for them to outsource the manufacturing there. And then, Scott, I also like GM here. So I thought I'd throw that in. Okay. <laughs> I got to go to Farmer Jim then. <laughs> <laughs> he just co-opted me. Okay. I love you, Steve. Uh, GM's up 30%, 40% in three months, up 132% uh, from the lows of March. It's consolidating right now. This is a great entry point right now. Okay. Good stuff, you guys. It's like Laurel and Hardy. Uh, Michael Farr. Uh, I like CVS. Kramer mentioned it on Mad Money last night. Seventy percent of Americans live within three miles of a CVS. They're going to be delivering the vaccine. Okay. Two point eight percent dividend, 12 times earnings. I got it real quick, Jason. DraftKings, stay long. All right. Good stuff, guys. Great weekend, everybody. Thanks so much for watching The Exchanges Now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. Meet Janice. Unfortunately, her thing is sneeze attacks every time spring returns. I literally sneezed 40 times in a row once. Luckily for Janice, at the Walmart pharmacy, she can get over-the-counter allergy relief for things like sneezing, runny nose, and watery eyes, fast with online pickup or delivery. No more suffering? That's nothing to sneeze at. <laughs> I see what you did there. Help survive allergy season with fast online pickup or delivery from Walmart. Welcome to an easier pharmacy. Welcome to your Walmart.